Hebrews 11, verses 5 and 6, and then we'll go to Genesis 5, and then Jude. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Now also Jude, right before the book of Revelation, Jude verses 14 and 15 It was also a, about these men that Enoch, these men, if you look in the context, are evil people, evil men. It was also about these men that Enoch and the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all, to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds. By the way, before I forget, to my left, your right, there are notes. And on the back of those notes is a little chart. And it shows the generations from Adam, I think, all the way to Noah and Noah's sons. So Enoch would have overlapped Adam. So perhaps they knew each other. So Enoch would have been Adam's, I think, sixth great-grandson. Right, you know, six levels down. And then finally, Genesis chapter 5. And in Genesis chapter 5, remember the theme is what? Of Genesis chapter 5? And he died. And he died. And he died. And he died. It's that of death. But then we have... And verse 22, then Enoch walked with God. And remember Jude 14 and 15. There was a lot of ungodliness. That was the main theme of the world that from the time of Enoch all the way to Noah. Uh, you can start at verse 21. Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. And so all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And then please turn back to Hebrews chapter 11, which we will spend the, the rest of our time. Let me pray as we seek to understand his word. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the time of worship through music. Now as we enter into a time of worship through your word, we trust you and we trust your word. The law of the Lord is perfect. It causes the soul to repent and to be revived. And so we pray now that your spirit would do its work through the word. We ask this for Christ's sake. Amen. There are two groups of people in the world those that want to please God and those that do not. We can either be a man-pleaser or a God-pleaser. And we want to seek to be God-pleasers, to live by faith 
as we've seen just by reading these few verses, means that we're going to seek to be God-pleasers. And it reminded me of a song from long ago by a, a classic, a, a classical group called Petra from many years ago. And they had a song called God Pleaser. And it starts in the first verse with these lyrics. So many voices telling me which way to go. So many choices come from those who think they know. There's a way that seems right to a man, but it only brings him death. I want to go the way that leads to life till I draw my dying breath. Don't want to be a man pleaser. I want to be a God pleaser. I just want to have the wisdom to discern the two apart. Don't want to be a man pleaser. I want to be a God pleaser. I just want to do the things that please the Father's heart. These are great lyrics that echo what we've just read from Hebrews, from Genesis, and from Jude. And we have said that as we look at this passage in Hebrews 10, 34, all the way to 1140, that the main theme is that we need to press forward faithfully in faith so we, so we don't falter and fall away. And there are different ways that we do that. We've seen that we understand the best is yet to come. We refuse to lose our confidence in the gospel. But then we exercise our faith. We have to always be pushing forward in faith because if you don't, then you might fall away. Recently, I've been reading a book about exercising when you're over 50 years old. And it's been really a good book. And this man, this one man, the writer, believes that he's actually gotten stronger and faster at the age of 65 because of consistency. Consistent exercise, wise, consistent exercise. Even as you get older, you can become stronger and even a little bit more healthier. Well, in a similar way with our faith, the older we get, we should not what? In our faith. Relax, take it easy, I'm going to coast. I've been a Christian for 35 years. Now I can just relax. As a believer, no, I don't do that. I need to continue to run the race and continue to push forward, exercising faith even more than I ever have before to keep seeking to grow in my faith. How do we do that? Well, we've been looking at these depictions in Hebrews chapter 11. We believe to understand having faith in God really creates a galaxy brain, is what we said a few weeks ago, really helps you to understand the whole universe. We said to get right with God, that's by faith. And then this morning, number three, this depiction to follow is that to please God, we have to do that by faith. Believe to please God. If we want to press forward faithfully and not falter away, then that takes pleasing God. And we do that by faith. There's an acquaintance that I have, and she said that God has left us on this earth to be saved by emulating Christ. Is that how we're saved? She's basically saying to please God, you have to be like Christ. And if you're like Christ, if you please God that way, he looks at your life and sees that you're like Jesus, he's pleased, then he will save you. Was Apostle Paul exactly like Jesus? 
No, he was a saved sinner. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And we please God by faith alone. Yes, as a Christian, there are things I do in my life that please the heart of God. But there's always this faith, this realization that even the the best deeds that I could do as a believer, on their own, they're not acceptable in the sight of God. Because they have sin in them. There needs to be repentance and humility and forgiveness. Faith is a prerequisite to please God. The Lord wants a a heart that is broken and humble and fearing and trust in him. Not like those little wooden toy Christmas guards that the mouth moves and it has like the little beard. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Nutcracker, thank you. The, the little nutcracker. The, those are beautiful, but sometimes if we're not careful, we can be like a little nutcracker that our mouth just goes, Hallelujah, praise you, praise you. But inside we're just wood. God wants a true heart of faithfulness that's crying out to him. Now, please note, and you can see that in your notes, if you have them, please note verses 5 and 6, and note this main theme in this section. Yes, by faith, but it's by faith, please God. If you look at the end of verse 5, it says the Enoch was taken up, Pleasing to God. For he obtained the witness that before it's taken up, he was pleasing to God. And at the beginning of verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please him. This verse, remember we talked about in the past a chiasm. This verse has a chiasm. So it would be like A, B, B, A, something like that. And the, the middle part of it, the middle part of the X shows what's really important. You have these brackets that are here, verse 5 and verse 6. But in the middle, these bookends, and then in the middle you have what it's truly about. Verse 5 ends with pleasing to God. Verse 6 starts with, and without faith it is impossible to please Him. This is written this way in order to grab our attention and to prove the point that there's only one way to please God, and that's through faith alone in God. And Enoch is a great example of that. That is when the heart is is seized with and seizes who God is and Christ, and we take refuge in him, that's faith, and that that's the way to please God. Now, in context, think about this. These beloved Hebrew believers, they were being tempted to leave Christ, to leave Christianity, and go back to the old Judaistic religion and to begin to offer sacrifices again. Now, in rabbinic Judaism, Enoch was huge. He was very favored. He, he was big, right? He was so godly, he had a personal rapture. That's how godly he was. So what the Spirit of God does is say, the rabbis, the Jews, look at Enoch and think that he is so godly, be like him. Because he pleased God so much that God just took him to heaven. Well, first, was Enoch a Jew? No, he was not a Jew. He's not related to Abraham, right? He's not a child of Abraham. Enoch was a Gentile, right? Yes. (laughs) Not only that, 
But how did he get to heaven? Here it says in verse 5, by faith. Even if you go back to Genesis, it doesn't talk about sacrifices he made. And then here the Spirit of God gives revelation and it says, it was by faith that Enoch was able to please God. He believed that God is. He believed that God is a rewarder of those who seek him. And so that's why God took him up. And so this is the purpose of the Spirit of God is to present to the Hebrew Christians and to ourselves that it's not going back to a system of self-centered, self-righteous works that you're going to trust in. Rather, if you take one of the most apparently godly people in the Bible, Enoch, that lived amidst a very evil and dark time of human history, he went to heaven. Why? Not because he was so godly. He was more godly than the people around him, but he didn't go to heaven because he was more godly. He went to heaven because he knew God and trusted God. That's why he went to heaven. Now, from this, we can learn several things about pleasing God, but just by way of reminder, being a God-pleaser is nothing new. You can look back at Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verses 8 through 9. Romans chapter 8, verse 8. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. A, a Christian by his very, her very nature is a God pleaser because they have the spirit of God. So if we're not pleasing God as a believer, we're going contrary to our regenerative nature. Also, maybe you remember in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, also talks about being a God-pleaser and not a man-pleaser. There are times when elsewhere, though we don't have time to get into it, the Bible will talk about there are times when we seek to please others and not offend them. But being a God-pleaser is always primary. Like Galatians 1.10 for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. We seek to please God, first and primarily. And then 1 Thessalonians 2.4. 1 Thessalonians 2.4. So it's not just in Hebrews, but it's really throughout the New Testament where we are called and given the example of seeking to please God and not man. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, who examines our hearts. God's the one that we're going to stand before. First Corinthians 4, 5. The one that examines me is God. And on the last day, I'll get my reward, my praise from him. So with that in mind, then, how do we please God as we see here in Hebrews 11.5? We want to press forward faithfully so we believe to understand, we believe to be right with God. We also believe to please God, to have his favor. As a believer, how do we do that? Well, we believe to please God first by developing a relationship with him. By developing a relationship with him. Look back at Hebrews 11.5. It says, By faith Enoch was taken up that he would not see death. 
And then, for he obtained the witness, before he was taken up, he was pleasing to God. How do we know beyond this he was pleasing to God? Well, if you go back to Genesis 5, 22 to 24, it says, what was he doing? He was walking with God. Walking with God. By faith, he walked with God so that he was taken up. This idea of walking with God in Genesis 5, it's the idea of what? Remember who walked with Adam? Uh, who did Adam walk with? They walked in the garden. Who? Who walked Eve? But who else? God. The idea of walking in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament is a life that has fellowship with God. <coughs> That's what this is talking about, developing a relationship with God. It's the idea of intimacy and fellowship and communion with God. Remember from Jude that Enoch lived in a very dark and evil time where people were rejecting God. But Enoch, by faith, by grace, developed a relationship with God. And even it says, if you go back to Genesis 5, he did this for how many years? 300 years. Sometimes I look at my life and I think I've walked with God now for over 30 years. Wow. That is amazing. 30 years of me walking with God. Enoch did it for how long? 300 years. And he didn't have the completed revelation of God, the Bible, that was given to him. He had testimony. He had revelation that would have been passed down from Adam and Eve and and Seth and others. And yet still able, he was still able to walk with God. It's this idea of friendship with God. And even if you look further down in this passage, when it says he is a rewarder of those who seek him, and even for he who comes to God, all of those are terms of seeking God to know him. Even when it says in Hebrews eleven six. For he who comes to God, it's that same word that's used in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us draw near. It's the same word. Hebrews chapter 10. When it talks about that we draw close, verse 22, let us draw near with a sincere heart. Those are the same, those who are drawn near, it's the same word here when it says, for he who comes to God. That is, there is this theme throughout the Bible, I think in Genesis and Psalms, many places, but even here in Hebrews and here in Hebrews 11, of this drawing near, coming to God, walking with God, is this deep desire to know God in an intimate, personal, close way, where he is your Lord, your God, your Father, your King, your Savior, and your friend. This is communion with God. And for Enoch, it wasn't a brief time. It wasn't that Enoch had had a good period of walking with God for a summer. Because he went to summer camp. Or to church camp. Or he heard a, a good sermon by some well-known preacher that just got him psyched up. And so he really lived for God for six months. 
But for 300 years, he walked with God and in a land of darkness. And he was doing this by faith. And so we learn, brothers and sisters, God wants us not to be primarily sprinters spiritually, but to be marathon runners or hikers and being able to hike up and down the mountains and down down into the valleys and the canyons and then back up into glorious mountaintops and then back down and around and going on for 300 years of walking with God. This takes faith. It, it takes knowing God. I'm reminded of Psalm 73 where the writer of this psalm sees all of the wickedness around him and for a moment is tempted by it. But then he says, Psalm 73, verse 25, Whom have, have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. Then verse 28, But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge. This is what Enoch was doing. He was in this world where there was explicit, gross depravity. And yet he walked with God by having faith in God and taking a refuge in him because he walked with him, meaning not just he conformed his life with him, but he had a deep abiding friendship, intimate communion with God. And that's how we grow in faith and that's how we please God is what we know him. And you can know God. You, you have to know God through reading his word, through prayer. Remember, you can also get some good books like J.I. Packer's book on knowing God is, is very good. Uh, Piper's book on the desires of God, uh, desiring God is also very helpful. There's books by, I think, Tori and some others on, on knowing God and Tozer and some others that are very helpful. Primarily, you read the word and you pray and you talk to God when you're in difficult times and when you're in times of blessing. It's a marathon. It's a long hike. It's not just for a day. It's not just for a summer. When times are good and when times are bad, you seek to know God. Number two. And so we're talking about believe to pleasing God. That's primarily what verses 5 and 6 are about. The example that's given is Enoch. It's given to these Hebrew Christians because Enoch actually was admired by the Jews, but Enoch wasn't a Jew, and he was taken up by faith because he had developed a relationship with God. And then second, understanding what it means to believe to please God by knowing that God is real. You can look back, chapter 11, verse 5 and 6, that says, and without faith, it's impossible, you, you and I have no ability to please God unless we have faith in the Lord, taking refuge in Him. But it's interesting because it says, for he who comes to God must believe that He is. And it's almost like, duh, right? Obviously. I mean, it's kind of odd in a sense. 
if I have faith, then I must really believe that God is real. Is it an understatement? What's, what's going on? Why is this here? Well, I think it's because he is, is another, another way to say, I am. Remember, Jesus said many times throughout the Gospels, I am, I am, I am, I am. He would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I, I am the vine. And then at least once he said, John eight fifty eight, I am. That's first person. I am, I am, I am, I am. This is third person saying that God is. And it goes back to Exodus 3.14, when Moses said to God, looking at the burning bush, who should I say, Lord, who should I say is sending me to deliver your people, Israel, from bondage in Egypt? Say that I am that I am. Yahweh. Yahweh means I am. What does that mean? It means the self-existing God that needs nobody, that needs nothing, that is supremely happy and joyful at all times, the creative, sovereign, powerful Lord. That's Yahweh. That's I am that I am. And he is, is just another way to say that. That is, there is one supreme reality. And the supreme reality is what? God is Yahweh. There is a difference between, in other words, believing, I believe in some kind of cosmic God that's probably, probably there versus the God of the Bible, the God that created all space, time, and matter, and that is Lord over all things that ever, ever existed. What kind of God do you believe in? So when it says, when you believe that he is, it's that there's this one fundamental (coughs) reality. And that is God has been, God is, and God will be. Before there was even any molecule of micromatter or macromatter, God was there. You can even see this from the book of Hebrews itself. Chapter 1. It talks about this. Verse 10. You, Lord, it's kurios in the Hebrew, and I'm sorry, in the Greek, and the Hebrew would be Yahweh. When it says Lord, you see it's all capitals. That's Yahweh. I am. In the beginning laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens, all that you see in the sky, the, the whole universe, through the works of your hands. They're all going to perish. And you're going to Roll them up, God, like a piece of parchment. And then actually burn them, right? You can read Peter's epistles in the book of Revelation. And like a mantle, you'll roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. You are the same, and your years will not come to an end. This is our God. He needs nothing. He needs no one. Is an angel is in and of themselves? You know, God is in himself, right? He exists because he is God. He doesn't need anybody or anything. He always was, is now, and always will be. It cannot be said of an angel. 
is an angel by themselves is. Is Satan by himself is? No, certainly not. Any of the apostles? No. What about that big, huge sun where, like, you could fit 500 of our sons inside of it? Beetlejuice? I think it's called. Is that right? I think so. Is any sun all by itself is? No. Is the universe by itself is able to always be? No. No, it's not. Any mountain... Any insurance plan that you might have, is it always is? No. Is your life itself always is? Certainly not. Is tomorrow going to be there? Tomorrow is not is. That means it is not the supreme existing reality Hebrews 1 and the whole Bible teach that the whole universe one day will be consumed with fire and changed and there'll be a, a new heaven and earth. Even, even heaven itself is not is because it's created. What I mean is there's one sovereign, supreme reality that has always and always will exist and that is God. And that's why there can be a better country a better city, and that's why even in Hebrews chapter 10, it talks about in verse 34 that these believers were willing to allow their property to be seized from them, and yet they still had joy when that happened, knowing that they had a better possession and a lasting one. God's not a legend. God is not a fairy tale. It's not that just God is real. God makes... Things real. God is so real, there wouldn't even be the word real if there wasn't God. That's how real God is. And no matter anybody's unbelief doesn't unbelieve God. If people say to me, and they have, Tom, I I don't believe in God. I try to respond by saying, your unbelief doesn't make God non-existent. So what? You don't believe in God. He's not the fairy godmother. He's not. He's, He's not Gandalf. He's not dependent upon you believing in him. Even if you're a Christian, God doesn't need you to believe to accomplish his will. God God has and always will be. He is. And I think that's what verse 6 is saying about Enoch. Because he believed and so he understood. He trusted God that God would give provision for his sin. And he believed that God is. That God was that existing supreme Reality of all things. Really, it does inform our, our faith. It gives foundation for our faith. To pray for wisdom, for power, for, for strength. In order to take refuge in God during difficult times, you would have to believe that God is truly real. And how you respond, how I respond to trials will show us whether or not we truly think God is real. Enoch believed that God is real. By God's grace, may we believe and trust that he is real. And so we develop a relationship with him. We see how real he is. And then our view of God becomes larger and larger and larger and larger and larger. Number three, 
seeking to understand by, by faith, pleasing God. We develop a relationship with him. As we do that, we see that he is, that is, he is truly real. And then third, by trusting, he is a rewarder that God rewards. Look back at verse 6. He is a rewarder of those who seek him. Now, keep looking at verse 6. It says, in order to please God, I, I need to have faith in him. Okay, check. I also have to believe that he, he really is. He's real. He's true. He exists, and he is the one that created existence. Okay, yes, check. But then I also have to believe he's going to reward me. I also find that odd. Have you ever read this verse and found it odd? This verse is saying, for you to truly believe in God, you have to believe that God is going to reward you. If you want to please God, have faith in Jesus, and then believe he's going to give you a big payoff, a big payout. He is a rewarder of those who seek him. It doesn't say he's a hoarder. He's going to give good gifts to those who seek him. He's going to give good gifts to those who seek him first. This is what faith believes. It's not that God's going to give you a reward because you're perfect. Nobody's perfect except for Jesus. But as you have placed your faith in Christ and you pursue God by faith, he will reward you. Have you ever been given one reward in your life? Have you ever been given a reward in your life? I think maybe I have three. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> Some of you probably have all kinds of trophies, you know. You have this big, huge trophy case. Some people get a lot of trophies. Some people, we, we just get a few. Have you ever been rewarded? It feels good, doesn't it? Now, who do you think could ever give you the best reward ever. I mean, truly, think about it. Who could ever give you the best reward? Would it be your, your favorite president of the United States, whoever that is, gives you a medal of uh, I don't know, honor or whatever it is. He gives you a medal and he puts it around your chest. Wouldn't that be amazing? Maybe a seminary professor, know, something in football, uh, I don't know, something with athletics, something with academics. You know, some kind of, maybe you saved 10,000 people from a burning building and you get a fireman reward. You know, that would be significant. That would be huge, right? And none of those are bad. Those are all good. But to get a reward from God, from the one who is, from the one that created and sustains everything, you know, Colossians 1.17 says that Christ holds together, sta, the Greek word holds, causes everything to stand together, the molecular glue of the whole universe is, is Christ. And for you to really please him, you have to believe that he's going to give you a reward. That's one thing I can believe. I mean, it's a little bit, at least for me, to believe that God might reward me. Yes, I want that. But that's what the text is saying. That there's a sense in which you have to, in your heart, believe, not because I'm perfect, I'm seeking to place him first. And when I do that, the dividends that that's going to pay off is literally out of this world. Right? 
That's what this verse is saying. Now, there's dividends in this life too. Matthew 6.33 says, what does it say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And it talks about life, food, clothing. That's in this life. So even in, in this life, as we put God, you know, we're not perfect, but as we consistently walk with him, seeking to place him first, he will give us all that we need until it's time for us to what? To die. And then we have our great reward. Now, this is not a sermon about rewards in heaven. There's all kinds of rewards in heaven, but the greatest reward you could ever have would be what? Eternal life is knowing God and being with Jesus, being with Christ and seeing Christ. But the Bible talks about there's no curse, there's no sin, there's no darkness anymore, reigning with Christ. Hebrews chapter 2, I think it's verse 10, talks about being uh, glory, glorified. Colossians 2.23, the hope that's in us, that is the, the, the glory of Christ. All these great rewards. I even think of our brother Ron, who passed away, was it Thursday or Friday? Ron passed away, and the Bible doesn't say this, it's just my own imagination. I imagine brother Ron got to heaven, you know, he he was in his bed, uh, closed his eyes, several days, semi-consciousness, then opens his eyes, and who's there? So when he's fully, fully conscious, the first sight he saw was Jesus. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that our brother Ron, right now, what do you think he's doing? This is what I told you. So I imagine Ron said to the Lord, I, I would like to serve you in some way. And what do you think? That, the Bible doesn't say this. It's just my imagination. I imagine in my mind the Lord said, Ron, here's your reward. The best trumpet that anybody can make because I made it. And then Ron right now is doing what? <laughs> I imagine that. Probably for the next, probably we'll die, we'll go to heaven, and we'll say, Lord, where's Ron? And he's going to be right there on the trumpet. See, Ron knew that there was a better possession, and ultimately that's Jesus, and a better city, and a better country, and that's heaven. So the one who believes, believes that God gives generously, and that he's not a miser. And so that's why, again, it says, knowing that you have for yourselves, Hebrews 10.34, a better possession and a lasting one. And that all comes from God. Now, I have left something out, and not all, but many commentaries and many sermons that I listened to didn't talk about this that much. And that is in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, three times it says, taken up. Verse 5, in the middle, God took him. Verse 5 at the end, taken up. It's emphasizing, Hebrews 11, 5, is emphasizing that Enoch believed God, had faith in God, walked close with God, developed a relationship with God, believed that God is the great I am, the great is, believed that God was super, super generous. And so Enoch was taken up into heaven. And the word here, 
In Hebrews 11.5, is the word for uh, transferred or even changed? Sometimes in some writings outside Scripture, some have used the term translated for this word, <laughs> taken up. So I, earlier I'd said Enoch had a personal rapture. It's basically a picture of it to a degree. So then why is this here? Why is taken up, taken up, taken up? Not only here, but it's emphasized. Does this mean that if you're godly enough, you're going to be personally raptured? If you walk with God and you're so close to God, is God going to rapture you? Maybe you say, I don't believe in the pre-tribulational rapture. I believe in a personal rapture. So if you're so godly, all of you are going to be raptured. Is this what this verse is saying? No, because who who was not raptured? Think about the Old Testament. Who was maybe one of the most godly people in the Old Testament? Uh, Daniel? Was Daniel raptured? No. Was Jeremiah raptured? No. Was Isaiah raptured? No. If you read Hebrews 11, were any of these people raptured? No. In fact, some of them were tortured and died. (laughs) They all died, but some were abused and tortured and died. Only one. Out of this list, we do know of Elijah. Apparently, he also was raptured. So why is this here? I think, again, that it is a teaching tool. Certainly, it happened. It's in Genesis. But the Spirit of God is saying to these Hebrew believers, these Jewish rabbis are tempting you to go back and trust in a type of Old Testament sacrificial system that is not valid anymore, and one of the ones that they emulate and follow and esteem is Enoch, and Enoch was so godly, evidence of him being so godly, through his faith, through faith alone, he was translated into heaven. It's a teaching device and tool to help these Hebrew believers to understand that when you trust God, God will be generous to you. It's not that he's going to take you immediately to heaven but he will give you whatever you need to be able to make it in the here and now to do his will. And for Enoch, he had walked with God for 300 years. And then God brought him to heaven. That may have been what Enoch needed. God will give you whatever you need to do whatever he wants you to do. And when God is done with you, you either will die or maybe he'll take you like Enoch. I think that's why it's here, is to encourage these believers that even an Old Testament hero and rabbinical lore had faith in God, and he went to heaven and didn't even die, not because he was Jewish, not because of a sacrificial system, but because of faith. Now, having said that, perhaps the end of days is here. Perhaps. Perhaps the end of days is here. Perhaps... The book of Revelation and chapters 4 to the end is going to happen in a couple years, perhaps. And perhaps what happened to Enoch is an example of what will happen to all believers who trust him and were here when the Lord returns. Either way, the way that we would participate in going to heaven through death or going to heaven by the Lord's return, that's how we go to heaven through faith. By faith, by trusting him, not ourselves, we please God. Do you want to please God?
only you can say that. I mean, only you can answer that truthfully in your heart. Do you want to please God? We do that by faith. Let me end, as I started with Petra, let me end with Petra. Verse 2. Some make a sacrifice and never let it show. Some make a point of letting, of letting everybody know. Some will live their lives as unto men, and they have their reward. I just want to do everything I do with my heart unto the Lord. Don't want to be a man pleaser. I want to be a God pleaser. I just want to have the wisdom to discern the two apart. Don't want to be a man pleaser. I want to be a God pleaser. I just want to do the things that please the Father's heart. I just want my life to glorify his son, to make my father proud that I'm his child before I'm done. No need to pat me on the back or stop to shake my hand. I just want to hear my father say, well done, well done. I just want to hear my father say, well done. And that itself would be a great reward, is when we hear God the Father say, well done. Lord, we thank you for your word. May it penetrate into our hearts. May your spirit convict us, cleanse us, and change us, Lord. We give you praise. For your glory. Amen.